Welcome to the Wellness Restoration Project, where we explore the question of how are you well? A collection of interviews and explorations of resources, both ancient and modern, to help you create your own powerful network and practices in wellness. I'm your integrative herbalist and host, Shelly Swap. Let's do this. Welcome back to the Wellness Restoration Project. I am really excited to introduce to you today my guest. Her name is Dr. Carly Hudson, and she has a really beautiful story. Um, Dr. Carly, welcome. Hi. Thank you so much for having me, Shelly. I'm so thrilled to be here today. Um, can you introduce yourself to my listeners? You are a, a doctor of chiropractic medicine, yes. is that correct? Correct. I'm such a such a soft spot in my heart for chiropractors and I'm so grateful for like there's there were there are stories of my in my life where <laughs> the chiropractor is the one who helped me get back on my feet and get me moving again and so i have such great respect for the work that you do and i have worked with dozens and dozens of chiropractors over the years in fact many of them are probably listening to this very episode <laughs> so hello out there to my chiropractor friends and um welcome thank you well, I, always, I always love to be part of the chiropractic love i think that is is so much why um at least a lot of my colleagues as chiropractors and myself included why we love our job so much is that we get to be in this fun niche of healthcare where we you know we're responsible for the doctoring but you know we don't spend five, seven minutes with our patients, we get to sit down and talk with them and hear about their lives and understand what's going on with them and, and really participate in either, you know, we, we deliver the care that they need or find the person that delivers the care that they need. Um, and that, that is ultimately, you know, what happened to me as well. I, I didn't actually go to chiropractors when I was growing up of, of all of the holistic health woo-woo stuff that my mom would take me to as I, as I tried to heal from a childhood injury, um, chiropractic was not on her list because she had a, a bad experience once. And we know how that happens to, to write things off. Um, but somehow I ended up going to chiropractic school anyway. And while I was getting my doctorate, I was suffering from let's like bury the lead a little bit, but I, I was suffering really severely from the sequela, the ongoing symptoms of, of the brain injury I had as a child. And it was a very unique um, corner of chiropractic of functional neurology that ended up opening up my world in a way that I had been searching for for nearly 30 years. Um, and so being a chiropractor, being a doctor, it has always been my desire because of my own history with health that, um, that I could be the person that finally heard and listened to my patient in a way they had been searching for, because I know so desperately the yearning to find someone that will hear you and make a, a collage of your story that points to the bigger picture instead of dismissing these little symptoms as, ah, everybody, yeah, it's fine. And, and so to get to do that for my patients as it was done for me, is just the, the biggest gift of my life. Oh, amen. I think sitting across from women and men too, that mm -hmm. I get to see and being the first person to actually hear their story and validate that, yeah, everything you're feeling, I, I can't tell you you're not, of course you are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It makes sense because your body is telling you something that we haven't figured out how to address yet. Exactly. So I love that you, I love that you know that so intimately. Um, so let's, if you don't mind, let's jump in a little bit more about your story. So my world started with, um, 
challenges that my children were having from a very young age. And that's how I ended up in this world. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like you, well, you have a background in yoga. You've got some background. You've got a background in a lot of really fun things. And I can hardly wait for you to kind of weave this story in into a bigger, more beautiful picture for us. But tell us where you started um, mm -hmm. and let's let's go from there. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I, I started, you know, basically my, the script of my life was written that it was going to be about healing. Um, because when I was, I was, I was an otherwise normal infant. Um, and then at seven months old, I contracted bacterial meningitis, uh, H flu meningitis. And, um, that's not the one you want to get particularly at that age you don't want to get any of them, no. <laughs> but that in the eighties that had a 5% chance of survival. And so the first, the first success of my healing, um, is actually credit to my mother who, when told repeatedly that I had uh, chronic ear infections and that I just, you know, drops in the ear, antibiotics, go home, she'll get better. Um, she watched me and she saw me and she saw me not getting better. And she saw me not being the infants she knew. And she went for that second opinion and she was determined, uh, so determined it was in um, April and I live in Denver. So we get our snow in the spring. Um, for those of you who aren't local to Colorado, we get our blizzards for Mother's Day and Easter and Passover. So it was 10 inches of snow and she drove across town to children's hospital to get me the diagnosis I needed. And that's where you know, I got spinal tap and was diagnosed with spinal meningitis. If she hadn't done that, all of the amazing care that children's hospitals known to give would not have been available to me um, without the proper diagnosis. And so that was the first lesson is that, you know, you, mothers know their children, you know, your body. And if you're not getting the answer that that is yours, that you know, is, is what is going on with you. Don't settle. Don't wait. It, for me, it was a life or death moment. And, and thank goodness I have, you know, the rest of my life to thank her for it. Um, so that's, that's chapter one right there, <laughs> but yeah. So, so lots of love to my mom. And, and then from that, you know, I did survive and, but it left me with a, a great deal of brain injury. Um, I didn't know to call it that throughout my childhood. So that was one of the things that I was, was searching for, um, concussion and TBI protocols and understanding has grown so much in the last 15, 20 years. Um, you know, but 30, 35 years ago, we didn't even know to call it a concussion or a, a traumatic brain injury is what it really was by inflammation. Um, but I had damage to my cerebellum, the, the motor control coordination part of my brain. I had damage to the somatomotor, somatosensory movement and sensory part of my brain, primarily on my left side, and then some integration issues around my brain stem. So I, I had a wallop. And I have profound hearing loss. I'm sorry, you're probably going to hear my cat here. She no. she's these moments to need attention. <laughs> um, but I had profound hearing loss in both my ears and ended up settling in my left ear. I've been deaf in my left ear um, practically my whole life. And then I had all kinds of motor and coordination movements. I had to go to PT to learn to hold my head up again and then walk or then crawl, then walk. And I always sort of walked like I was a little bit drunk, like as a, you know, two drinks ahead and can guarantee you at five years old, I was not. Um, <laughs> and, um, and, and so there, you know, and we can dig into if this is of interest, but th there's a lot of, um, layers that come when you don't know where you are in space and you don't know how to coordinate your body and how you experience yourself in the world, a lot of it really snowballed from there. 
And so all of these certificates and, and healing modalities that I have trained in, um, massage and, and yoga, um, I did an undergrad in, in psychology and then uh, you know, finally went on to get my doctorate in chiropractic. I think all of these were my ways of saying, um, looking for answers for myself and knowing that care that was only symptom management was never going to be good enough for me. It was never going to be good enough for the st- my story and the way I wanted to help others. And I think that that is a fair thing to offer other people as well. Mm-hmm. I love that that's, we shouldn't be offering that, just symptom mm-hmm. management. I mean, unless people want that. But I don't think many people who are in the situations that you're describing just want their symptom, symptoms to be managed. So mm-hmm. if you don't mind, um, I would love to just give voice to some of the things that you experienced, because Mm -hmm. I suspect that there's probably a young mom Mm -hmm. sitting in her car somewhere, um, or, you know, in her bedroom or wherever right now listening to this Mm -hmm. is wondering if one of some of the things that you've experienced is what she's seeing in her children. Um, And so I'd love to give just a minute or two of voice to that, that, that mm-hmm. help them to see, or maybe in their own life, maybe it's something they've struggled with in their whole life. Mm-hmm. And I think if we kind of gloss over those, those things that were particularly um, poignant for you, mm-hmm. that we might miss out on an op- opportunity. So one of the pieces of my story is I'm a dancer um, and I have continued to teach dance for 25 years since leaving the dance world, the performing world. And so I see little kids like this. I've seen them all over the country and all the places I've taught who come in and they are struggling with coordination. Um, oftentimes they are using other people as a way to find out where they are in the world. They're the ones who can't keep their hands and they're not necessarily aggressive or mean mm-hmm. about it, but they are having a hard time keeping their hands off of each other, other, other people and other things around them because they are trying to define where they are in space. Is that, I'm kind of hearing that from you when you're talking about like this, this Mm -hmm. vestibular kind of of, um, need to know where you are. Can Mm -hmm. you talk a little bit more about what that looks like and why that happens? Absolutely. Um, Yeah. And and I think it's so good to be able to have these conversations because to be perfectly frank, there are still things that I am back learning relearning about myself as I talk to other people who have gone through vestibular issues, TBIs, concussions, and they say, yeah, this was one of my compensation patterns. And it lights up in my head of like, oh, that was compensation. (laughs) That was, that was just life. That was, that was just like how I did it. Um, and so, you know, when you talk about working with, with kiddos and dancing and having an eye to this, it just, it makes my heart swell because that was one of the first things that I, um, I learned I couldn't do is dance. And I, I have these wild dreams and I'm like, I'm still working towards it as I heal and get control of my body. And I, you know, just, you know, spoiler, I have a happy ending guys. So I, like, <laughs> I, I've been able, but I always, I always want to do like circus, <laughs> circus display performer. Um, but when I was a kid, I couldn't move in a straight line. And so if you're, you know, sashaying across the floor or pirouetting across the floor and everyone's going in a straight line and I'm ending up in the back corner, yep. going at a weird diagonal and running into people along the way and swimming, I'd swim into the other lane and it just embarrassing. It's just embarrassing. And, and so there these take asides of, of talking very politely to my mom about, she's just not keeping up with the other kids and she can stay, but her class is going to go ahead and she's going to be now with the kids that are a year younger and then two youngers. And because 
because of the fatigue, and this was a little bit disarming, um, the motor fatigue, the vestibular fatigue, and the way the brain gets tired, we'll kind of go there first, is that um, it, if you're rested, if you're having a good day, you got good food in your system, things aren't stressful, everything is wonderful, you can, depending on the severity of your brain injury, I should say, um, I could uh, pass as normal quote unquote normal, what is normal and, and be fine. I mean, when, when I was good, I was the best player, the best dancer uh, on the worst team, but I was great. And then my brain would get tired and then I would get tired and then everything would fall apart from there. All of my coordination would stop firing. All of where I was in space would stop firing. And it wasn't the, oh, you know, that was a bad spin, try it again, you gotta practice through it. Now, when your brain is tired, you're done. And there is nothing to do but sit down, rest, refuel, recover and wait. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes that's a really inconvenient moments like in the middle of a dance class um, or driving. <laughs> always, it is never. Um, and, and so it became this choice of just not. And I would do things like, I didn't know where I was in space. So uh, I, I would tend to veer to the right constantly because I had a one-sided injury. And so my pinky toes have been broken. I don't even know how many times I, I could tell you just for that was how I found corners of things was with my toes or my hips or my shoulders. And I also started to develop this complex of being um, very large because I couldn't fit through doorways apparently. Um, I just couldn't find the doorways appropriately. So I, I had a, a body dysmorphia about the size of my hips and the size of my shoulders. And, and just to illustrate this, I mean, this, this is not in, in a body shaming kind of way, just in a, how we start to see ourselves differently. I am now five, four and petite. I am, I, I am not, not a large ever, woman. I can see yeah, you. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I am not a large woman. And, and my, uh, I had linebacker shoulders for all, you know, for all that I knew trying to get through the world. And so it's things like that. Um, and I also had, so I had profound hearing loss and I couldn't, anybody sitting on my left side, they were not there. I could not hear them. I can't locate sound. So I couldn't play um, hide and seek. I couldn't play Marco Polo. I couldn't play all these childhood games. I couldn't socialize in cafeterias and gymnasiums, the, the places of childhood, um, because there's too much background noise. There's too much echoing and I couldn't find my way through it. And now come to learn years later, that was also very fatiguing for my brain. And as my brain fatigued, I would not be able to speak as well, remember as well, participate in conversation as well, all, all part of that brain injury. Um, I'd always have to sit at the front of the classroom so I could hear the teacher, which, you know, it turns out great. I'm a nerd. That's wonderful. But I couldn't, I couldn't float and make friends. I, I had to have the friends who wanted to sit there and be nerd with me. My, my world got very narrow and very small as I tried to fit into what I could keep up with and just beg out of what I couldn't. There weren't accommodations. We were only just getting accommodations for ADD, ADHD, and dyslexia. These were new things in their 90s. Right. For, for me, who she, she says so humbly is very smart and compensates well, I was normal, just a little wacky sometimes. I love that because I think that's, that fits 
that's, mm -hmm. that's a, descriptive, a description a lot of people can relate to, whether it's mm -hmm. in yourself or in your child. Mm -hmm. um, I know, so I also, in full disclosure, have mm -hmm. two children on the spectrum. Um, and one of them is also, uh, he has a neuromuscular disease. And so I'm very familiar with that exhaustion of when he was very young, like he mm -hmm. could only handle so much stimulation and then all the motor skills would fall apart and all mm -hmm. everything would fall apart and it, and learning to give him the space to recover mm -hmm. uh, was huge. And, and at least he was born in, you know, after 2000. And so we did have some semblance of accommodations, but mm -hmm. tell me a little bit more about what you, um, yeah, I mean, I can, I can hear, I can feel it in the, in the greater collective now as people are listening to this and going, okay, I totally relate. Now, what do I do? Mm -hmm. Oh, can you help yeah. us there? Like, can you, <laughs> <laughs> what do you do? Um, and I realized that, you know, part of my story was a constant search for, for health and, and being an able-bodied person. Um, I didn't, you know, growing up when I did, I, I realized that I, I grew up with a lot of ableism and that I didn't want to be handicapped. I didn't want to be injured. I didn't want this to be my reality. It felt like such an unfair, you know, twist of a virus landing in the wrong place, which certainly I know many people feel that way these days. Um, it's relatable, for sure. It's, it's relatable now. Um, but so I spent most of my life looking to be able-bodied and able-brained as it turned out. And it's a double-edged sword. So I think one of the greatest gifts that my parents gave me is they never treated me as handicapped. Um, I, there was no malingering or, or downgrading. I, I tried to keep up with and, and do all the things I ever dreamed of doing. And yeah, you know, I, I went through school. I became a doctor. There's all this great stuff, but also they never treated me like I was handicapped. And so I didn't learn to rest and recover until it came through the trial and error of um, trying to get through high school with a, a full crazy person schedule and um, ending up suicidally depressed because I couldn't keep up with all of it. And so, so the lesson of accommodation, I think, is just like you're talking about with your kiddo is understanding from the get-go that the need for recovery and the need for um, uh, letting that sensory overload kind of chill out so that you can go back in is a really important aspect of our life. It is a non-negotiable. And you know, part of my work now as a doctor is that I'm really trying to teach everybody neurotypical, able-bodied, however, you know, from deeper in on the spectrum, whichever direction it's splitting off is that this is a non-negotiable for all of us. You know, we have, we are now experiencing the great resignation of people leaving jobs so overwhelmed in burnout and stress that they are very much experiencing the same things that I went through being in a noisy, crowded, fluorescently lit cafeteria, you know, perhaps that your child goes through being around all this noise and commotion. It just took 40 years of being in a soul sucking job that gave them no space. It's, that's a harder lesson to learn. I think yeah, it is. You know, there's a little bit of a gift of being like, yeah, my threshold is tipped right now. Better learn it, you know, not learn it in 20 years. Yeah. Amen. So mm -hmm. I, interesting that you should say that because I, um, have you, there's so many fun biometric tools we have now, right? Yeah. Are you yeah. a fan of any of those? As, as far as, so, me, so yeah. I have an, I, I got an aura ring for mm -hmm. my, birth, my birthday is in December, my poor family, right? My poor husband. Um, <laughs> and so I got an aura ring for my birthday and Christmas and it has been life 
altering for me mm -hmm. to get up in the morning and and I because I'm I'm a get up and go like yeah. okay it's fine I, I didn't sleep well I'm still gonna hit the gym I'm still gonna hit you know I'm gonna do all the things mm -hmm. and be out the door at this time and get everything done and even though I'm dragging mm -hmm. and I'm like I don't know what my problem is um and to now seeing like like this morning I woke up to my aura ring saying cool it chick cool it <laughs> like go back to bed yeah <laughs> you your body <laughs> needs to recover and I was so irritated like but it was right I went mm -hmm. and slept for instead of getting up at 5 30 to go to the gym I went back to bed and I got two good solid hours of sleep which I really benefited from but um but yeah I we aren't taught this no. skill of recovery and honestly you know it's the first time I'd ever kind of thought of it, like I said, as you're posing it, you know, my, my husband loves, or for, for a long while loved his, um, he didn't have a Fitbit. He had a, a different brand, but he, he loved his tracker watch and it would tell him how much sleep he was getting, or as it turns out, not getting. Yes. And, and, you know, there was a little bit of a pride measurement that would come with it too. I mean, we, we have a five-year-old now, and this is, you know, back when she was infant and like how much sleep none no, over and over again. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and I see a lot of my patients liking these rings, liking these Fitbits because they tell them, they give them this feedback. And I've never personally understood the appeal for myself. And as you're talking about it, I'm realizing it because, um, you know, I, I have a different Fitbit. I, I you know, talking, went to therapy, talked to my therapist, got some good language. And we have my, we talk about it in my house as my thermometer. And we know that if my memory, short-term memory starts to go and I'm pulling one of those, who is that person we talked to yesterday with the blonde hair and the glasses and the feet, and I can't get their name or I start messing up words. Um, one of my very common linguistic things is I'll, I'll think of like fridge versus um, fork. They both start with an F. They're both in the kitchen. They're interchangeable. It's fine. Um, th these, are, these are the things my brain, that's my Fitbit. That's my biometric ring of like, Carly, you need to rest more. You need to take it down a notch um, because you're giving yourself away here or you know, running into walls. And, and so in a, in a funny, dark humor kind of way, it becomes a gift because I, you know, I don't, I don't need a, a, I don't need a ring or a Fitbit to tell me that I'm a little whacked out because it's, it's such an obvious threshold being non-neurotypical. And I, I sometimes wish that not, I don't wish this upon my patients, but for my patients, they have to do, if they're neurotypical, they have to do so much more work of understanding this gray zone of fatigue yes. before they absolutely crash out. So it's a little bit of a cheat code in a way for something that we all need to learn coming out end stage capitalism of go, go, go. What can you produce? Yeah. 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 It's actually really common. I mean, like mm -hmm. the rest of us have been given, we have other ways of compensating, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. All these things that you, your body starts to slow down and tell you that you can't do this anymore. Where how many times have I sat across the screen or the room mm -hmm. from another woman who's saying, I'm, I'm losing words. I can't remember the simplest thing. I walk mm -hmm. out of my bedroom and into the kitchen and I can't remember why I did. And, and you're saying, oh, this is a sign of fatigue. Mm -hmm. This is yeah. a huge sign. And, and it is, it's a sign of inflammation. It's a sign of fatigue. Mm -hmm. Our body's telling us that we've got to slow down. And I am, I am so the poster child for this because look, mm -hmm. I took a ring to yell at me this morning to say, girl, 
your heart rate has been up all night long. <laughs> Go to bed. Go to bed. But then think about too how how we're taught to interpret that. Like I I learned this language of chill out, slow down. This is a sign that you're dragging. Even being um, injured and non-neurotypical, not until my 20s and 30s. I mean, it took that long for it. That's like post depression. <laughs> like, ah, if everyone goes through depression, that's fine. No, <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> like, I'm, I'm not a fast learner as it turns out. I like to think I am, but now as I'm telling you the story, I'm like, I might have to change that. <laughs> but, but, but we also, as a society, pathologize that differently. Oh, you're forgetful. You're getting old. Right. Oh, you forgot why to get in that room. Hmm, senior moment. You know, we, we put ageism and we put a little shame on that because it would be far worse to admit that you were tired yeah. or needed a break Yeah. than this is just you joining in the ranks of everybody else who can't remember why they walked into a room. We normalize it in a really unhealthy way. You're right. You're absolutely right. So I have a feeling that your work in yoga and mm -hmm. some of the other things that you've done are um, really helpful in this field. It's, it's huge. Um, you know, I, I think as you talked about your child um, having, having these movement and muscular disorders as well, yoga is, yoga saved my life. Um, yoga, I started in, when I was 10 years old. Um, I don't know like, where my mom comes up with all of these ideas. I mean, I she love was, your mom. <laughs> she's amazing. She was just like this frontline hippie coming from the Midwest. I don't know. But for some reason she got in her head that I should do yoga at 10 years old, back in the nineties, no one knew about yoga yet. There was one studio, you know, cross town. And I went and I was this kid among women who, you know, to me then were ancient, but they were probably my age now, 40 years old, <laughs> older. Um, and I, I like, I couldn't do it. Downward dog was torture. This is a rest position. We've all heard that one. And, but the, the thing that that gave me was this opportunity to be on a mat by myself, engaging with an intimate conversation with what my body could or couldn't do in that moment. And it didn't matter over time as I kept practicing and I, you know, I'm still practicing now, 26 years later, it didn't matter if it was a good day or a bad day because I wasn't letting my teammate down. I wasn't letting my yoga instructor down. I had props. Maybe I needed to use the props. Maybe I didn't need to use the props that day, but I could meet myself wherever I was at and explore the health and the rest and the condition of my body in that moment. And it also taught me a lot of forgiveness and humility and letting go of shame, you know, being the 10 year old holding onto a chair, trying to do a lunge because I couldn't stand on one leg until I was 30 years old. I would just topple over. Um, I, I, I had to step away. If I was going to keep showing up on the mat, I had to step away from any concern about what people thought about how I was there. And, you know, maybe that gave me too much of an ego, but I care so little about how I appear in the world in that way, because at least on the yoga mat, I was doing what I needed to, to take care of myself. And as an adolescent who had already flunked out of jazz, dance, gymnastics, ballet, basketball, volleyball, everything, this was something that finally let my body move. And in, in my heart, that's all I ever wanted. Movement was freedom to me. Um, and so it was my dream. Like from the first day I was on the mat, this is the most incredible thing I've ever done. You get to rest, you get into your breathing, it's relaxation, you're feeling your body. I wanna be a yoga teacher. And then I realized just as quickly, I'm handicapped. 
who am I going to teach? Um, and so just to, to like put a shiny bow on some of this, these crazy stories as I did, um, complete my 200 hour yoga teacher training in 2019. Oh um, God, that is awesome. Have, I was just, <laughs> this is mine. I'm not actually a yoga teacher, but I do use a lot of yoga in my chiropractic work. Um, so it's funny how life turns out, but through all of the healing and, um, and rehab that I'd done, I had finally gotten a body that did as commanded well enough that I could do that. So, um, but, but yoga has that place of teaching you that when you're on the mat, you know, the, the struggles that you find within your body and the determination and the grit to stay with a pose, even though it's challenging or explode, explore a pose so that you might find more ease in the strength and more stability in that moment. These are lessons that you take with you off the mat. If you're willing, you can think back and say, that was an impossible thing that I did there. What's another impossible thing that I can do and bring that with you. And you're only in competition with yourself. Hopefully keep your eyes on your own mat. <laughs> truly, truly. Yeah. That's, um, that's beautiful. And so true. I, I can't imagine that that type of work doesn't, or that type of practice doesn't infuse everything that you do mm -hmm. as a chiropractor and as a doctor and as a healer and all of those, those modalities. And um, one of the things that's really dear to me as um, as an herbalist, as a nutritionist, as a dancer and a mover and all those things as well, um, is the concept of, of opening and refining those pathways. And mm -hmm. it sounds like that's exactly what you learned to do is to really give strength to those, those pathways that needed to be opened so that you could channel the energy that you needed to, to get where you needed mm -hmm. to go. Yeah. And, and, and I suspect you probably do that a lot for your patients as well. Yeah. And I like, as you bring up kind of refining, that is such a, a great word for, to me, what healing is. It is subtle. You know, so much of what we look at in mainstream healthcare, which I, I've really just started referring to as disease management, because it's symptom management. And, and sometimes we need our symptoms management managed. Sometimes they are too grotesque to live with as is to be able to, to dial into this refined awareness of health. Um, but amen. amen, like we have to be able to get to the point where we can even have the capacity to start doing this deeper work. Exactly. And so whatever that help needs to look like, but please don't stop there. Um, but, but this whole, whole health system in which we are engaged, it's heroic. It is a light switch of that symptom is gone. Now you have five others, but that's fine. But it's, it's surgery. It's, it's these big things that have colossal changes. And when it comes to the actual work of healing and, and arriving someplace new with and within your body, to me, that is very subtle and very refined. You know, we are looking at um, feeling within ourselves the, the slight capacity for stretch, the slight capacity for more to feel a little bit more firm on your foundation and to build on that moment by moment and every modality that I have had, um, you know, whether that was starting with yoga or receiving my massage myself, um, the energy work of massage, Reiki, Shiatsu, those pieces, acupuncture, um, chiropractic in and of itself, functional neurology, uh, nutrition and herbalism, all of these treatments are very subtle changes as if you are slowly turning up the, or turning down the thermostat in your body and being quiet enough to sit with and tune into that 
I think it's the real work of healing because otherwise you're going to look for that heroic change because the impatience is there and your body will meet you where, where, where you're willing to wait. Absolutely. I, and I think some of the great uh, meditation teachers, which from, from what I understand is really the base of yoga uh, Mm -hmm. is that breath work and that meditation and that, that deeper understanding is all about appreciating that slow work Mm -hmm. of the universe and that it is, it is slow and it is steady and it was refining and it is replenishing. Um, And that when we're tapped into that, we can feel the difference as opposed to this, this rush deplete run yourself ragged kind of energy Mm -hmm. that that we have developed here in our Western capitalist world. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and then it goes with that too, because it's the same kind of subtleness that we were talking about at the, you know, just a bit ago with, with what our ring or, or my brain is telling us is that, you know, then you can also look for more subtle signs within yourself. Are you thinking as quickly, you know, are you as sharp? And is there something little that you can do right now? Like put your feet up for five minutes, let the blood rush to your brain and take some deep breaths and then go about your day. Or do you need to keep pushing it until you do get that sledgehammer over the head of insomnia for the last month and a half. And now you have nothing, no choice, but to sleep through the weekend. You know, when we tune into that refinement, our interventions and our breaks and our recovery can also be more refined as well. And I think that's the real gift of getting your life back. Yeah, absolutely. That you don't have to wait until it comes to a full stop mm-hmm. to get well. Yeah. That is beautiful. Um, Dr. Carly, where can people find you? So I am, I'm located in Denver, Colorado. So I do have a, a private practice where I am, I am seeing patients and taking new patients if you happen to be local. Um, and that is Healing Ground Chiropractic Care. Um, but I also have a, a podcast of my own and it was born of this desire to have these conversations about what health and healing and, and what other options of modalities can be that we just don't hear about very often. Things like functional neurology or pelvic floor therapy or I mean, the list goes on and on. Um, so I wanted to to be a Rolodex for my patients. Um, and that is the Healing Ground Movement podcast. And you can find that online as well or any of your um, favorite streaming platforms if you're interested in checking that out. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. Well, I hope that um, you and I can have another conversation. I'd love to dig deeper into the functional neurology piece that mm-hmm. you've talked about. But I feel like today you've offered a really beautiful gift and a lot of permission to anyone who is wondering if it's if, if what they're feeling is worth doing a little bit more work on figuring out what could be help, what could help them. And, mm-hmm. and that's a beautiful thing to offer to say, mm-hmm. yeah, actually, if you're not feeling well mm-hmm. in any pieces of your world, that's a sign to take a minute, take a break, take a break and get some, get some support around it. Absolutely. And a beautiful example of what happens when somebody listens to that. So thank you. Thank you so very much. Um, we will be in touch. I look forward to it. Thank you so much. All right. And until next time, be well. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Wellness Restoration Project. Wasn't that a wonderful episode? I hope that you were able to gain as much from it as I did. And if you would like to follow Dr. Carly, um, I'll put the links in the show notes and link to her on social. Also, if you are ready to make some serious changes in your health and go after getting well, balancing your hormones and losing that weight, it's not too late. I still have some room and I will get you caught up in the wellness restoration project. Just pop me a note or schedule some time for us to meet and we'll see if it's a good fit for you. 
Hey, and until next time, be well.